From the Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, this is Getting Ethics to Work, the podcast that tackles the trickier moral dilemmas that you might face in the workplace. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Berry. For each episode of Getting Ethics to Work, we discuss a case or issue and unpack the difficult and often hidden ethical tensions that can make it hard to get along with others at work. And by the way, case is just an ethicist word for story. Now, before we get started, I want to remind everyone that we are not lawyers and are not offering legal expertise. But as an ethicist, I can assure you that I'm not bullshitting when I say bullshit is a serious topic of ethical inquiry. And if you'd like what you've been hearing and want to help us out, the best thing you can do is recommend the show to a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I hope you'll consider doing that. All right. I'm excited for today. So let's get to work. This is going to be fun. Kate, give us the case. Sylvia sells industrial air filters to businesses that need higher grade filtration. Hospitals, manufacturing plants that make little fiddly small devices. But she's new and she's not making that many sales. She asks to shadow her team member Julie on some sales calls. In one of those calls, the potential client asks if the filters can filter out a particular kind of particle that has been known to slip past five micron filters. Without missing a beat, Julie says, yep, those cannot get past our five micron filters. Julie closes the deal. When the call is over, Sylvia says, wow, how did you know that without looking it up? I would have never been able to answer that question on the fly. Julie says, I don't, but I also don't know that it doesn't. Plus, I think this person is being unreasonable in what they need. They don't need a filter that filters out that particle. So I just told them what they needed to hear. They're going to be just fine with the filters I've sold. They're great. The customer isn't always right. Sometimes they're wrong about what their needs are. Sylvia thinks this sounds like a bunch of bullshit but doesn't know what you should do if this is the game that everyone's playing in her industry. How can you compete in a world of bullshit if you're not also bullshitting? Uh, This is a good case. And I love that we get to keep saying bullshit over and over. I know, it feels weird. (laughs) But fun fact, uh, bullshit is a serious area of study. Thanks to this guy, Harry Frankfurt, a philosopher at Princeton back in 1986. He wrote a pretty important article called On Bullshit where he distinguished between bullshit on the one hand and lying on the other and had a lot of really interesting things to say about it. So what does Frankfurt say the difference is between lying and bullshitting? A a liar, when they say something, they know what they're saying is false, right? They know what the truth is, and they're trying to get someone to believe the opposite of that truth. A bullshitter, according to Frankfurt, is saying something without any kind of concern for whether it's true or not. They're just, they're indifferent. And that's exactly what Julie's doing here, right? She said something and Sylvia's like, wow, how did you know that? And she said, oh, I I don't know that. I don't don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's false. I just said it, right? What they needed to hear. So that's what bullshitting is, is just saying something when you don't really care if you're contributing truth or falsity to the conversation. You're just indifferent to the truth. You're just saying what you want people to hear and you don't even care if it's true or false. And Frankfurt thought back in 1986 that society has somehow become increasingly more accepting of this idea of someone being a bullshit artist and that being okay. Why I'm excited about this in a in the Getting Ethics to Work podcast is, you know, I imagine there are a lot of people who might be in a situation like Julie's. I imagine the pressure to bullshit is just kind of rampant throughout organizations around the country. So sales is a good one, right? Yeah. Whatever it is you're selling, there's probably pressure to just tell the customer what they quote unquote need to hear. 
And you don't even have time to go figure out if it's true or false. You just say it. I mean, can you think of other kinds of industries where there might be this kind of pressure? Sure. It seems like advertising and marketing is probably entirely based on telling people what they need to hear in order to make the sale or to think that this is going to be the thing that solves all your problems, that it doesn't really matter if it's true or not. Just please buy it. Right. It's just enormous pressure to get people to believe that this thing is the answer to their problems when you don't really know if it's the answer to their problems or, or not. Probably not because you're going to be trying to sell them something new next week. Take like entrepreneurs, right? Investment pitches. If you're an angel investor, it seems like it's just taken as a given that whatever the numbers you're being given, they might use the phrase, you know, overly optimistic. Probably those numbers are being crunched with some variables that the person doesn't really know if the numbers are going to be that high or not. And so that seems to be an area where there'd be some pressure to bullshit. So it seems like bullshit as opposed to lying might be more interested in convincing people or getting buy-in rather than actually getting someone to believe something that isn't true. I think it can be easy to work ourselves up into thinking that this might be okay because like if I'm lying about something, then you know, I'm I'm definitely misleading people. But if I'm if I'm bullshitting, I bet some people are like, you know what? There's a good chance what I'm saying is right, right? I mean, it's not beyond the pale that what I'm saying is true, right? It's within the realm of possibility. And so I bet some people could even sort of like sort of convince themselves to be okay with it. You know, beyond trying to sell something in the private sector, right, that that's where there can be pressure to bullshit. I think uh, as a society, uh, there's a lot of pressure for people to be knowledgeable about topics and have opinions about things. I mean, there's this term like knowledge worker, right? Like if you work in a field where your value is your intellectual abilities, you might think there's enormous pressure for you to be a knower about like whatever it is we're talking about, right? Right. This is one thing Frankfurt talks about is, you know, that that pressure to be knowledgeable can make it tempting to just start saying things that like, you know, seem like you know what you're talking about. Because if, if I don't confidently have knowledge about whatever it is we're talking about, whenever we're talking about it, you know, people will see me as less of a knower, right? And then people will rely on me less. Maybe I'll be less important or less valuable. Maybe I'll be sought out less, right? So I think there's pressure for people to put on airs about knowing things uh, when they when they don't really know much about the topic. If, if you're in a situation where you feel like confessing ignorance could be um, a mark against you in the long run. I even feel some pressure to do this in social situations that I'll maybe talk about an article that I sort of barely remember about marine biology. And then someone will ask me a question and then I'll feel pressure to be like, oh yeah, totally, even though I've forgotten what, whether it was one way or the other. We start learning this behavior early, like in high school, real pressure to already know what it is the kids are talking about. Like you don't want to admit that you haven't heard of that band yet, right? So when everyone says like, you know, oh, do you, have you heard it? Have you heard the latest so-and-so? You're like, oh yeah, yeah, it's awesome, right? Um, there's that pressure. I mean, that's not, that itself is not a case of bullshitting. You know you're lying, right? But <laughs> you, you know you haven't heard that song. It's a similar pressure to, to be knowledgeable, right? Yeah, when you put it that way, it seems pretty pervasive that basically in every sphere, at work, at home, 
that you're maybe doing a little bit of bullshitting to cover up any gaps of knowledge you may have or just to to have an answer or to try to convince someone to your side. So Frankfurt was very worried about the fact that society had just sort of seemed to grow to accept this as just a common feature of our lives now that, that we're just more accepting of bullshitters. So I'll, Kate, I'll put a question to you. So it seems so pervasive in industry. How do you think we got to the point where we sort of justified this for ourselves or just came to accept it, that this is just part of life now? It feels like a kind of cynicism. And maybe there was a tipping point where we just felt that most people were lying to us or trying to sell us something. And so I don't think it's happy that the world is full of bullshit. But I think there is some sort of acceptance that, well, this is what people do. This is how you sell things. This is how you get people over to your side. It's how you convince people. And so everyone's kind of lying to you. This idea that everybody does it, I think, is something that I think can be incredibly alluring for folks. I think there are some other ways in which someone might get themselves worked up into thinking that uh, this is okay. And Julie, from our original case, said something interesting. She said, oh, look, they were just sort of wrong about what their needs were. And they were like being overly cautious and thinking they needed something that filtered out this particular kind of thing. I don't think they needed that. So I just told them what they needed to hear. Roughly, the idea is when you think the desire for the knowledge that they're seeking is somehow unreasonable. They don't need that knowledge to make that decision. In fact, they're sort of wrong about needing that knowledge. And so you sort of feel like if you convince yourself that the knowledge they're seeking is somehow unimportant to their decision and they just don't realize that, you don't feel as bad about misleading them because you think it's unimportant knowledge. Does that make sense? Sure. It's very convenient. If the thing they want to know doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter that you don't know the answer. Exactly. And it doesn't matter if you bullshit about it because you can convince yourself to think that, oh, well, I'm not harming them because that that's just irrelevant to their decision. And I think there are other ways in which, you know, leaders could find themselves in positions feeling this kind of pressure. If you're in highly uncertain territory and you have to make a pretty big decision but you have someone on the team who's just highly risk averse. And so they're just, they're real nervous about this direction. And if you don't exude like 100% confidence, they're not going to be on board. They're going to drag their heels. You think they need to see me confident and they want answers to questions that I don't think we need to have the answers to in order to proceed. And so it would be tempting, I think, to sort of push out and be like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, don't worry. That's going to be fine. Oh, I, t- I took care of that. Or that that's been that's going to be taken care of. Like you could just pepper out all these reassurances and you really have no idea. But what the way you the way you're justifying it is you think, look, we don't need the answers to those questions in order to proceed. And so, again, it's kind of you're, you're thinking it's an unreasonable demand for knowledge. And so you think I don't need to meet that demand or something like that. So I think that's a way in which it can be tempting to bullshit. Well, we've gone through all these temptations and listed examples where even you and I have been tempted to bullshit. So is this somehow a kind of category of lying that's all right? Here's the fun part of the Frankfurt article. He actually thinks bullshitting is worse than lying. That you are a worse person if you're a bullshitter than if you're a liar. 
Okay, why does he say that? He thinks that bullshitting and getting comfortable with bullshitting and getting more and being accepting of bullshitters does more damage to our collective pursuit of the truth than what the liar does. So the the liar still has a care for the truth. They care about what's true or false. And yeah, they're being deceptive, but he sort of views their deception as kind of these like isolated affairs where they are doing wrong to a particular person by denying a particular person the kind of knowledge that they want, right? Well, he said, bullshitters do that. They do all the badness of lying. Whatever's morally bad about lying, disrespecting the person, getting in the way of their getting at knowledge that they want, the bullshitter does all of that. So the bullshitter is just as bad as the liar in that regard. You are getting in the way of someone's attempt to get knowledge. You're being deceptive. You're being misleading. But added to that, basically being as bad as lying, you are also now very much embarked on a path where you've stopped caring to figure out what's true about the world or not. I can see why philosophers would be particularly allergic to that. <laughs> exactly, because, you know, it's the, it, it's the collective quest for truth, right? We're trying to get at the truth. And, and here's a category of folks who not only are they being deceptive, just like a liar, they're even worse, you know, in terms of their intellectual virtues, because they've just stopped caring to even try to figure out if what they're saying is true or false. And so it's like more of a disconnect from reality. And he thought that kind of comfort of being disconnected from reality is bad. That kind of comfort and not even trying to figure out what's true about the world before you make decisions on how to act. He was like, that's just a horrible intellectual habit and one that in the long run is just going to be disastrous. Yeah. Especially if we all just accept that this is the way most people operate as, and, and treat that as though it's somehow okay. And you can see the ramifications of this. If you just accept that everyone's a bullshitter or we, we tolerate it, think about how much that how much trust you lose. Think about how much trust you would lose in people in positions of power, leaders of companies, governors, mayors, like all of our politicians, the lawyers who are supposed to uphold truth and justice, right? I mean, that, all, all that stuff. It's just widely accepting that this is just what people do on the daily. Frankfurt said that's just going to be a disaster. For us as individuals, but also for, you know, us as a civilization. Sure. So that's why he thought, he thought bullshitting way worse than lying. At least liars still care to figure out what is or is not true. And then they make these isolated decisions to be deceptive. Bullshitters are making those same decisions to be deceptive, but also have decided they don't even need to figure out what's true about the world. Also, if you are encountering a liar and you know you're being lied to, then you you also sort of understand the lie. And if they're saying the false, you sort of know where the truth is. But if you're in a world of bullshitters, that truth is is gone, is hidden, and maybe doesn't even matter. And so you don't know exactly what is true or false because it's it could be true, it could be false. You don't know. You don't know if it's going on to you right now. You've lost your tether to the truth and reality. That's right. When you figure out you're dealing with someone who lies and you suspect they've been deceptive about a particular thing, you automatically know what the truth is. If you, if you realize you've been dealing with a bullshitter, it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I can rely on, right? 
yeah, it is disorienting in terms of how you interact with the world, but then also creates, like you mentioned, a lot of distrust amongst people. There's an article in Forbes that just came out recently in which uh, it describes a study that appears to suggest that bullshitters, by engaging in bullshit, make it harder for themselves to get at the truth because they are seem to be more subject or more vulnerable to bullshit themselves. Like they, 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 they fall prey to it. They'll be duped by bullshit very easily, according to this, this kind of study, which I think is pretty funny. Huh. I guess you can bullshit a bullshitter. I personally think Frankfurt's onto something that we should be more concerned about just accepting that this is what society is, just accepting that that's the name of the game uh, in whatever our particular industry is. And I think for people like Sylvia, it might be worth exploring other paths to success that don't require her to just follow the fold and, and do what Julie does. So if Sylvia decided she wanted to do that, where would you start, especially if you're in a industry that is full of bullshit? That's a really good question. And I think it's hard to come up with a really good answer. So let's step away from Julie's pressure to bullshit and go back to that other explanation for the prominence of bullshit, which is just in general, people feel pressure to be knowledgeable. And if you feel pressure to be knowledgeable, you're going to feel more pressure to bullshit. Because I think there are things that folks should think about when it comes to dealing with that pressure to be knowledgeable that would help us talk about what to do in uh, Sylvia's case. So I'm going to talk about Socrates for just a second. Great. Indulge me. <laughs> Socrates is famous for saying that wisdom consists in knowing we know nothing. And what he really meant is sort of admitting when you don't know things. In, in philosophy, there's this thread that like, Part of true wisdom has to do with having a kind of intellectual humility where you get real comfortable with your lack of knowledge and you get real comfortable just even communicating that. And if someone is genuinely seeking the truth, you would expect them to be more intellectually humble because if all they cared about was believing and saying true things, you would actually expect them to say, I don't know, a lot more often than people actually do. Yeah. So step one is for yourself, just get comfortable with the phrase, I don't know, right? Just get, you know, I don't know the answer to that. And I need to do a little bit more digging. And if you get comfortable with that phrase, I don't know, I need to, I need to think about that more. Or I don't know, I need to do a little bit more research, right? If you can get comfortable with that and resist that pressure to immediately know the answer, you get into the habit of not falling prey to the having to be the one who knows the answer to this question. But I actually think you're going to come across as more trustworthy and to some extent more wise than some of the other people in the room. You will stand out. If there are, if you're like, I don't know, I need to do a little bit more research, right? You'll, you'll stand out as someone who is more serious about the truth. And it's going to look weird. All that confidence in the room that everybody else is exuding, I think they're actually going to start to look a, a little bit more weird. I think in the long run, you feel pressure to be knowledgeable. Maybe you should try to divert that pressure to feeling pressure to be wise. And I think people trust people who seem wise 
more so than those who seem to just know it all. If you could sort of divert that anxiety about feeling pressure that you need to be knowledgeable, but feel more pressure to be wise and be willing to say, I don't know the answer to that. I think it'll help you resist the temptation to be a bullshitter. But I also think people will see something in you. Like to me, it really stands out when people are willing to admit they don't know things. And especially in high levels of leadership and people who seem like they're actually trying to figure out what's true. I tend to trust people more if every now and then I see them actually say, I don't know, and are actually open to learning. It's not just a bullshit tactic, right? To, to feign ignorance and then just go do whatever you want. But like when people seem genuinely interested in getting at the truth, I, I find that I trust them more. I want to partner with them more. That's something you can do for yourself to resist that temptation. You know, whenever it feels like you feel temptation to be knowledgeable, just remember intellectual humility looks better on you than being a know-it-all. I love the idea that we'd have a future of leaders where when you say, I don't know, you actually seem like the smartest, most wise person in the room. To Sylvia's dilemma, Julie's just said, I told the customer what they needed to hear. That point about intellectual humility goes over to when people are trying to sell me things. I actually trust a salesperson more when they give me information that makes it less likely I'd want to buy their product. They're basically, they just, they're, they're honest with me. They're like, look, I don't think you need this powerful of a machine for what you're trying to do. To some extent, Julie was bullshitting herself, right? And, and being vulnerable to her own bullshit. So I think there are tacks in sales where you can say, look, I'm interested in establishing that long-term sales relationship, which is going to be built more around trust. I think that practice of intellectual humility in sales might be something that's worth a shot. Yeah. So we've talked about that pressure to be knowledgeable and how practicing intellectual humility, getting comfortable with saying, I don't know may actually do you better in the long run anyway. We've talked about how someone like Sylvia could deploy that same thing in her own dilemma, that that pressure to know the answer to the question about filters. She might be better served by, you know, practicing intellectual humility in those situations as well. The other case that we did come up with that I thought might be worth touching on is, you know, when you're a leader of a team and you're in a highly uncertain situation, And you've got this highly risk-averse team member who just like has to know all the answers to all the questions before they're on board. And there's a lot you just don't know the answer to. It would be tempting to just be like, yeah, 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 that's that'll be taken care of. Yeah, 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 that's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're bullshitting the whole way because you really just don't know that it's going to be okay, but you feel pressure to exude confidence. This is just an example of that pressure to feel knowledgeable again in, in a particular practical setting. Again... You getting comfortable saying, I don't know, but not letting that get in the way of your confidence that this is the best way to proceed. Be super upfront about the uncertainty. And with that person, just very straightforward. Like, look, we sometimes have to act when we don't know all the answers to all the questions. But we're a good team. We are a smart team. We are an agile team. And I'm confident we're going to be able to figure some of this out should the answers to these questions go in one way or the other. But again, a lot of that is just intellectual humility. I don't know the answers to all these questions. And I don't think we can know the answers to all these questions before we get started. 
competent leaders are going to sometimes not know answers to questions. And in fact, I think leaders who demonstrate a commitment to figuring out the truth and not just saying whatever's convenient, they actually strike me as more competent. I'd be more trusting that a person who's sincerely after the truth is going to be able to get us where we need to go. Thanks so much for joining us as we try to get ethics to work. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Barry. If you have a dilemma or tension that you're dealing with in the workplace, email me at katherineberry at depa.edu and maybe we'll talk through your issue on the air. I really hope you take Kate up on that. I also hope you can take some of what we discussed here and get it to work. If you want to learn more about what we talked about on the show today, check out our show notes page at prindleinstitute.org slash work. That's all one word, get ethics to work. Remember to subscribe to get new episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. But regardless of where you subscribe, please be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It is still the best place for us to meet new listeners. Getting Ethics to Work is hosted by the Janet Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. Our logo was created by Smallbox. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions and can be found online at www.sessions.blue. Our show is made possible with the generous support of DePaul alumni, friends of the Prindle Institute, and you, the listeners. Thank you for your support. The views expressed here are the opinions of the individual speakers alone. They do not represent the position of DePaul University or the Prindle Institute for Ethics.